Do you ever wonder if it really matters? Do you really wonder if anything you can do makes a difference? If you're like me, that's really how I feel a lot of the time, especially when I look around and see people who really are getting it done. And they're, you know, they have a, you know, video ministry or they're on the radio and, you know, who am I? I'm just, you know, still doing the same thing I was doing, you know, week after week for seemingly forever. I imagine that probably all of us have somewhere deep within that question about whether our engagement, involvement, our faith, our action does anything good at all. I mean, how many times have you, you know, baked a loaf of bread for a neighbor and taken it over there and, well, what good does that do? Or you've, you know, signed up to hold a baby in the nursery. So what? Right? And who knows what happens when it seems like nothing happens? That's really what I want to look at this morning is what happens when it looks like nothing happens? What happens when a seemingly insignificant person does something that looks insignificant. Because all of us do those kind of things all the time. And I want to submit to you that the way that the church goes forward is by the small acts of love done by small people. And it happens day after day after day. It's not the grand sermons. It's not the great things that that go on that move the church forward. It's the small acts of kindness done by unknown people. And it happens in churches like ours all across the world. And so I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Acts. The book of Acts is the story of Jesus. I say it's the story of Jesus, even though Jesus has already been crucified and already risen from the dead, because that's how the book of Acts starts. It starts in verse, in the first couple of verses by uh, Luke, the author, telling us that this is a story about Jesus. I've already told you in my first book about all that He began to teach and to do. But now in my second book, the book of Acts, I want to tell you what he continues to do. Okay, that's essentially the introduction to the book of Acts. And so it is the story of Jesus. As you're, uh, if, as you're going to look at the arc of history, the arc of history is the story about what God is doing through Jesus. So don't make any mistake, it's not the story of the church, it's not the story of anybody else, it's the story about Jesus. And I want to look at it this morning and think about it in terms of a movie. Okay, If you're going to look at the movie, the story of Jesus, okay, that's what it's about. But as you do, you're going to have people who are stars. Okay, The, the A-list players. The ones that, whose, whose credits... This, they don't do this so much in movies anymore, but they used to do it a lot you know, back in my day, I suppose. They would start the movie by running some credits or running some graphic that has the names of the stars at the beginning of the movie. Okay, that's what I'm going to do right now. I'm giving you the names of the stars of the book of Acts, the beginning of the movie. Peter and Paul. They're the A-list players. They're the ones on the marquee or on the poster for this movie. Right? And if you're there and you're thinking, oh, I wonder if I'm going to make the same kind of contribution that Peter makes or that Paul makes. Nope. I'm not. I doubt you are either. It's just like not going to happen. And so, but see, that's one of the ways that, that's one of the ways that we kind of process this, right? And what if I was like Peter? I'm just going to say forget it right now. Okay? Well, let's forget it right now. We'll move on. Because he's the, they're the stars, okay? Then, there's the supporting cast. Some of the supporting cast maybe gets their names before the movie. The rest of them are after the movie. But they're the strong actors, the ones that have several lines and several show up in several places throughout this movie. 
There's Barnabas and Stephen and Cornelius and Silas, Luke, Timothy, James. There's others. But these are the ones that are you know, significant players in the story of Jesus. Okay, it's not their story. They have been intercepted by Jesus. And so it is His story, and they are caught up in it. And as they're caught up in it, they make a significant contribution. And the reality is, as much as I might like to be like Timothy or James, I'm not. And I'm still like, really? Does anything I do matter? Does it make any difference at all that I show up in anybody's life? So, what I want to do this morning is not talk about the stars, not talk about the sporting cast. I want to talk about the extras, maybe the bit players. Okay? And what I want to do is I want to do a survey of the book of Acts looking only at the bit players. The ones that just have... So here's my criteria. They only get one appearance. Okay, We're told a little bit about them. And they are believers in Jesus. Because there are some people who show up that aren't believers. But I'm going to focus on those who are believers and who get one scene. And that's all they get. And so you could even say, by my definition, right? It's what they do matters. Does it matter that they showed up for this you know, scene? Does it matter that they did anything here? So that's the question I want to explore as we go through the book of Acts. And so I'm going to go through as fast as I can here, but I, I, I think that you'll be encouraged as you see what God does through people who play really small roles and do seemingly insignificant things, and the story of Jesus moves forward because of them. So the first one is somebody I suspect that you may not even know. His name is Matthias, and he shows up in the first chapter, and the the church is having one of its early prayer meetings, and they're noticing around the the room that, that... there are 12 chairs and one of them's empty because, you know, Judas is not part of the equation anymore. Uh, and so they begin to ask the question, what are we going to do about that? And then it says this in verse 21. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the, be- the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, Oh, you, Lord, know the hearts of all. Show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias. And he was numbered with the eleven apostles and never heard from again. Seriously. Never heard from again. I mean, so much so it makes me say, did you really think you needed to do that? I mean, why even throw the lot and see who you pick? Because he never shows up again. And so here you have the, one of the very first people in the story of Jesus who gets caught up in it. He apparently was with him in the beginning and then saw Jesus in His resurrection. And that's all the part He plays. And I have to say, does it matter that he gets this one little scene, doesn't say a word, and he's out. Well, I think it does matter. I think he shows up for a very important reason as we begin the book of Acts. Because it is, it is because of Matthias that Luke gives us the overarching theme of all that is going to happen in the book of Acts. And that overarching thing is this. The people talked about here are people of the resurrection. The church is not a club. It's not an organization where people have the same sorts of uh, interests or the same demographic or anything like that. What the church of Jesus Christ is, is the church of Jesus Christ is 
a witness to the resurrection, which is exactly what Matthias was. That's the criteria. One of these men must become with us a witness to His resurrection. The church is nothing without the resurrection. Please do not miss what is going on in this very room. This is not just an activity that you're doing until you get to the football game this afternoon. This is about the resurrection of Jesus. It will be about the resurrection of Jesus every single week. And you dare not miss that. Because it is Jesus who is central. And Matthias, bless his heart, tells us that. Now I guess this is a little tiny thing that doesn't even get a speaking part, right? He gets his credit at the end of the movie. The next people that we see along the way that are Ananias and Sapphira. Some of you have heard of them. A husband and wife duo who were part of the church. And the church, uh, the church was just fantastic then, of course. Everyone says that. Right? And one of the things the church did is they, they were very generous. They gave everything into kind of this common pot and they shared with each other out of it. And it was just great until it wasn't. And that's, that's what you find out. That's what, that was just happened in chapter 4. But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and, bought, and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land while it remained unsold? Did it not remain in your your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you've contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. Okay, now before I read the rest here, I just want to stop. This is un, this has nothing to do with my sermon right now. But I want you to see that this text here is one of the reasons that, that we believe in the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit Himself is God. It says, why Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Who do you lie to? The Holy Spirit. You look at the last line, you have not lied to man, but to God. And the Holy Spirit is God here. Okay, It's just an observation that I want to make sure you don't miss as we're telling the story of Jesus and Ananias and Sapphira play their part. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And then what? Okay, exactly what you would expect, right? Great fear came upon all who heard it. The young men rose, wrapped him up, carried him out, and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Yes, you have a sense of foreboding, right? When he said, didn't know what happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. And immediately she fell down at his feet, breathed her last, and the young man came in now they found her dead and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And, no surprise, great fear came upon the whole church and upon all those who heard it. Now, I'm going to stop right here. They're extras, right? They're extras in the story. They just get this small little part and they're gone. They didn't do their part right. They could have given it all. They could have said, I'm going to give, I'm going to give 70% and give them 70%. They could have given 5%. And as long as they said, I'm giving 5%, I think they'd have been fine. And here they say, I gave the whole thing, but they didn't. And so then, and then they die, and then great fear falls on the whole church. You think, that's a dumb part to play. And it is. Okay? No argument there. I want you to see what happens. Now, many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people 
by the hands of the apostles. And they were together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them. But the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. Multitudes of men and women. Now see, I would expect that to happen if they'd gotten it right. If they, if they had really played their part just like it's supposed to be played, I would expect the Lord to add multitudes to their number. Here they goofed it up. And the story of Jesus still moves forward. See, this gives me great hope. I mean, I want to encourage you to do the right thing. I want to encourage you to, to engage and follow the Lord as, as you know, wholeheartedly as you can. And then I want to say, and even if you don't, the church of Jesus Christ will move forward. That the, the good news of the gospel will still have an impact, even if it's not through your success. Because we hear about we hear about bad things all the time, don't we? This and that church had some embezzlement. This and that church had somebody fall through immorality. And it's like, oh, this is just awful, and it is awful. And Jesus still wins. So that's that's what I get from these first couple um, bit players. Now the next the next ones I almost didn't include because they some of them you know you know Stephen he gets a whole chapter in chapter seven and Philip he he shows up and gets a pretty big part in chapter eight and so they're sort of the supporting cast but we first meet them when we meet uh, five other people whose names we can't even pronounce right try right <laughs> you're drawing in your head I am too Procurus Nicanor Timon Parmenas Nicholas some of you are saying I'm glad I'm not a preacher I have to pronounce those names what do we know about them now, in the days when the disciples were increasing numbers, so this is as follows right after chapter 5, what we just saw. A complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So, there was a problem. There are some insiders and there are some outsiders. There are some people who, who are having their needs met and then there are some people who are a little different who are on the outside. And nobody's paying very good attention to them. Or I could say it another way. We have a church, right? A church here in Jerusalem. And it isn't perfect. And how many of us are surprised? We have a church with problems. They have a problem. And so what happens, the problem is the twelve summon the full number of the disciples. So they, they have a church meeting. And they say, it's not right that we should give up preaching uh, the Word of God, preaching the Word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers... Pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and wisdom, whom we can appoint for this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the Word. And so what you have with this problem is you have them seeking to solve it by something as mundane as serving tables. People setting up chairs. People rolling out tables. People spreading tablecloths. Maybe people helping those widows get their food at the shared meal and bringing it to them at their table. It's not complicated. It's not hard. It's not simple. It's not something you'll do in order to get famous. Well known. But the church noticed the problem and said, let's make these five unknown people along with Stephen and Philip, people who include other people. And they designated them to be part of the includers, part of the servers. And they prayed about it and it pleased the whole gathering. They chose Stephen, man full of faith, the Holy Spirit, Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas proselyte of Antioch. And they set before the apostles. They prayed, laid hands on them. And notice what happens. When these bit players, these extras, get their part, what do they do? Something unheralded, unknown, and the Word of God continued to increase. 
And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Because of the simple service of a few unknown Christians. We go on a couple chapters. A guy named Simon who is a new believer. He comes to faith in Jesus. We're, we're told how he comes to faith. We're told of his backstory. And um, we'll see kind of his little part. There's a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria saying that he was somebody great. Okay? You might have seen him on America's Got Talent. I mean, those guys are amazing, right? That's, that's what he probably was doing, right? Everyone's like, whoa, have you seen that show? That's great. They all paid attention to him. From the least to the greatest, everybody tuned in when he was on America's Got Talent. This man is a power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But, When they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized. Both men and women, even Simon himself, believed. So we're told he's a believer. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs of great miracles performed, he was amazed. So he's looking at these signs of great miracles as a magician, right? And he's asking, how'd you do that? And they're in the backstage, right? They're sharing tricks, how they do these things. Except that Philip says it's by the Holy Spirit. Now the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the Word of God. They sent them to Peter and John who came down and prayed for them as they might receive the Holy Spirit for He had not yet fallen on any of them and they'd only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When they laid their hands on them, they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of hands of the apostles, uh, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. So this magic trick is better than any I've got. Let me buy the trick from you. And you're probably thinking... He shouldn't have done that. He probably shouldn't have done that. And sure enough, Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Now I'm just going to stop, because we have these, these extras, these bit players here. We've only seen a few. And twice now, their hearts have not been right on account of money. And so let that just be a warning to us about what can get in the way of our faith in Christ. So Peter says, Repent therefore of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity. That's how you ought to preach that. Right? And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. And I I take that to mean that that this believer was wrong intention, but repentant. And the Lord uh, had mercy on him. That's that's a way that I understand what's not told of us. We're We're not told what happens after this, but he did respond with humility when confronted with his Um, wrong desire. And that's his part. He's done. And what do we make of that? Right Here's here's the second person who has gotten it wrong. Who who has done what he he thought God wanted him to do. Who who really wanted to be... I mean, is it wrong? To want the Holy Spirit to come on someone else? Well... The way that he did it was wrong. But notice, 
When they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. And here you see from the, from the foibles of Simon come the progress of the gospel. The unstoppable story of Jesus is not uh, injured by the problems of Simon. And if you're not perfect, you're not going to stop the work of Jesus either. Because here we have the story of Jesus moving forward from the good things, from the bad things, that these unknown people do as they're captured by the Gospel of Jesus. And it moves forward nonetheless. Our next person, so that, just so you know, you can rest easy, that's all of the problem people I'm going to talk about. The rest of the people, like, do good. Okay? So, the next person is Tabitha. Tabitha is uh, just a wonderful Woman. In fact, that's how she's described here in Acts chapter 9. There was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha. Okay, which is a great description, right? That's how I want to be described. There was a disciple named Scott. There was a disciple. So, Jesus' last words, go and make disciples. Tabitha is one of those. Which translated means Dorcas. So, in a different, when her friends of another language are around, she goes by Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. So here is this woman who just was known for her good works and her kindness. Okay? She didn't have a she didn't have a wide circle of influence. There aren't hundreds of people who know what she has done. She's just full of good works and acts of kindness. In those days she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in the upper room. She's not even a person who's in good health. She's got virtually nothing going for her except good works and acts of charity, and then she dies. There you go. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come with us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them, and when he arrived, they took him into the upper room. And all the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas had made while she was with them. I mean, can't you just imagine that? I mean, here's Peter up there. There's this dead woman here in this room. And there's this audience of other widows over here who are saying, look what she made me. Oh, look what she made me. I'm just like, oh, don't do that. It breaks my heart. But what she did was to create... She just created these artifacts of kindness. It could, have been, it could have been from her sewing. It could have been from her artwork. It could have been from her cooking. She just over and over and over made these artifacts that people then had and said, she loves me. And Peter said, go outside. Put them all outside. Knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her and then called the saints and the widows and presented her alive. And it became known through all Joppa. Here is this woman that made coats. Made sweaters. Okay, There's no command in the Bible to make coats and sweaters. But that's the way that she expressed the love of Jesus to people. And it became known throughout all Joppa that she too was part of the resurrection community, you see. And many believed in the Lord. And many believed in the Lord because of the kindness of this unknown woman in a small thing she did for many. He stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. There's another woman we meet soon. Her name's Rhoda. Uh, for those of you of a certain generations, she is not the one on Mary Tyler Moore. Um, <clears throat> but she uh, has a very comical part to play in this story. Peter w- was kept in prison. 
But earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out, on the very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. This is as secure as they could make it. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. Peter still didn't wake up. He tapped Peter on the side and woke him up, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know what was being done to him by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. So you've had one of those dreams too, or one of those naps too, right? We have that nap and you're like, I can't, what is, I can't wake up. That's kind of how he was. When they passed the first and the second guard, they came to an iron gate leading into the city. And it opened for them of its own accord. And they went out and went along one street and immediately the angel left him. And Peter came to himself and said, Now, I am sure the Lord has sent His angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. So he woke up. He's outside He's outside the cell. He's outside the jail. He's outside the city. And he knows that all of that happened because the Lord delivered him. So what does he do? He, he, he knows people are praying for him. So when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And the door didn't open by itself. So he knocked at the door of the gateway. The servant girl named Rhoda rushes to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she did not open the gate. But she turned back around and ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. And they said, you're out of your mind. Okay, They're praying in faith, of course. right? Like you and I would pray in faith. We would be certain the Lord would answer our prayers. So were they. They prayed in faith. They said, you're out of your mind. She kept insisting that it was so. They kept saying, no, it can't be him, it's his angel. But Peter continued knocking. Hello? And when they opened... They saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, Tell these things to James and the brothers, and then he departed and went to another place. Okay? Rhoda never shows up again. Mary never shows up again. They've played their part, they've had their scene. And what do you make of that? I mean, it's, it's almost silly that they would do what I would do in the same situation, right? And I just want to say to you, when you're looking here, you can, be, you can be a servant girl doing what servant girls do. You can be just day in and day out being faithful at whatever it is that you're called to be faithful at. And you do it and then one day... There's a moment that makes a big difference. And you don't see it coming and it surprises you when it happens. And God does something amazing because you showed up and you were faithful. Or you could be like Mary. See, I didn't even, men- I didn't even mention Mary. I mean, Mary's got nothing, right? Here's Mary. They were in the house of Mary, mother of John, whose name was Mark. Now, that's all you got on, him, on her. The only way we know her is because her son's a little famous. Okay, the, the second book in your New Testament is named after him. The Gospel of Mark. So, whatever we know about Mary, it's because we know her son. And she had a house apparently big enough to host a life group in. And what does she do? She hosts a life group. And what happens? Nothing. And then the next week, what happens? Nothing. And then they say, oh, Peter's in trouble. We should pray at this life group meeting. And so they pray. 
And what happens? They think nothing. <laughs> when the Brota goes to the door, they say, nothing could possibly happen just because we were praying. And he, Peter's set free. And I just say to you, because some of you are you're just doing stuff like that. And it's not great and it's not amazing. It doesn't look like people are flocking to Jesus because of what you're doing, but you're just week in, week out, doing what God called you to do, being faithful, and then one day, God does something amazing just because you showed up. And then notice, just a few verses later, okay, Herod gets upset about losing his number one prisoner. And after there's a little vignette about that in verse 24, it says, the Word of God increased and multiplied. Because there were some women who were being faithful day in and day out for the cause of Jesus. Well, here's another woman. Her name's Lydia. So we're moving, we're moving on in the book of Acts. It's not so much summary statements anymore about how God does these, you know, the Word of God is increasing. Now we're into some specific situations. And one of the women we meet is Lydia. This specific situation is in response to what is known uh, on the inside as the Macedonian call. Okay? All that means is that uh, Paul had a dream okay, that God wanted him somewhere else. And so he saw a man from Macedonia saying, come over here. And so what does Paul do? He concludes, oh, I have this dream. God must want me over there. And so he sets out and goes over there. Okay, imagine he expects to see a Macedonian man, right? Who, that's what the vision was about. So what happens to him? Acts chapter 16. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira. He doesn't get a Macedonian man. He gets a woman who's not even from Macedonia. She's just, she's just like on a sales call from uh, Thyatira. She's there saying, you know what, I went to the mall and they need some purple. I'm selling purple. She's just on a business trip. But it tells us that she was a worshiper of God. And they, she was looking for a community of other people who might be worshiping God. Found some, um, found a Jewish synagogue there. They ended up going down to the river, having some kind of prayer meeting. Paul ended up preaching down there. And the Lord opened her heart. See, look at this just act of grace from God. It's like, I'm not going to let her come from Thyatira all the way here to Macedonia and then leave it to chance. He says, no. Opened her heart to pay attention to what Paul was, had said. And after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, if you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And they said no. And she said it again. And they said no. And she said it again. And she prevailed upon us. She wore us down. She's never heard from again. But what happened, you see? See, that's... That, that's the interesting thing in the story. Come, and, and they came, and they stayed with her. And the very next thing that happens is they go out to the market, and there is this slave girl who has been demon-possessed, and she's freed. Okay, Now there are a couple believers. And then, nobody likes that, because they perceive that the things that that girl could do for them couldn't do anymore, and so they weren't going to make any money, so they threw Paul in prison. Okay, he goes to prison. Big earthquake, chains fall off. He's there in prison. The Philippian jailer says, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved, tells him. He does. His whole family is baptized. Now there's, now there's a tiny little congregation of believers in Philippi because of Lydia. Because somebody went first. You see, that... That to me is the amazing thing here. Somebody had to be first. And Lydia said, because the Lord opened her heart, and she responded to grace. She said, let it be me. Come stay at my house. I think God has a work to do here in this city. Come stay with me. And they did. And God did a work. There was a church then in Philippi. You have a book in your New Testament 
called Philippians that was written to this church that began because Lydia said, come stay with me. So, the whole thing doesn't say, and the Word of God multiplied, but it did. Right? There's another couple shows up. Their, name, uh, their names are Aquila and Priscilla. And they have, uh, well, I was going to say they have a ministry. They don't have a ministry. They have a job. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. He found a Jew named Aquila, named, uh, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. So they had been, they had been kicked out. They were immigrants. They came to uh, Corinth and had set up shop. And Paul went in to see them because he was of the same trade. And he stayed with them and worked for they were tent makers by trade. So here is a couple. What did they do? What part did they play? They let Jesus into their workplace. When Jesus went into their workplace, another person who did the same kind of work, named Paul, went and worked next to them. They worked together for who knows how long. Each day, Jesus and His resurrection was the topic of conversation. As Jesus and His resurrection were parts of their conversation, they became more and more clear about what it meant to believe in Jesus. And then, later in the chapter, it says a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came from Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the Scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he only knew the baptism of John. Okay, I did not include Apollos, even though this is the only time he shows up. Because he's not like most of us. He's eloquent. He has charisma. He's charming. He has a great voice. And he's good as far as he knows. But see, what happened then is he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But Priscilla and Aquila heard him. Okay, I'm going to insert a little bit in the Scriptures here. I hope that's okay. And they recognized something's not quite right here. And they took him aside and said, we're from Italy. Would you like to go for pizza? Would you like to go for coffee? And they took him for coffee or pizza and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And I just want to say to you, it's, it's fall and we're different programs are starting up. We prayed for one already and coffee carts can start, uh, I think, in a couple of weeks. And it's just lots of things are starting up and everyone thinks the programs of the church are somehow the thing. I just want to say to you, they're not. What is the thing is the conversation between Priscilla and Aquila and Apollos that over for coffee part, that part that is just on the side. And what we do at New Life Church is we have to say, we know each other. We know we're way too busy to actually get together unless we have a plan. And so we do structure things like life groups to say, let's make sure we get in a situation where we have conversations like this. And so we structure what we do to try and have conversations like these guys are having. Because this is the kind of conversation that makes the Gospel go forward. This is what ministry is about. Ministry is always life on life. And all a program is, is a way to organize that to make sure that, that these two lives get together and have that conversation. And that's what's going on here. And so, when uh, he goes on, it says, they took him aside, explained the way of God more accurately, and when uh, he wished to cross over to Caia, the brothers encouraged him, and he wrote to the disciples, uh, to welcome him. So they, they sent him away. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. There is that, again, initiative of God and His grace to come in and say, time for you to believe. I'm going to send Apollos. And Apollos goes and the Word of Christ is more clear and more accurate. And he powerfully refuted the Jews publicly showing from the Scriptures that Christ was Jesus. And because of that coffee date, 
or that slice of pizza, the Gospel went forward into an entirely new city because that couple cared enough about Jesus and about Apollos to talk to Him. And to not let it go and not say somebody else will do it. But they followed. They were so caught up in the, in the story of Jesus that they wanted Apollos to have that as well. Well, there's one more person that I want to introduce you to here. His name is Eutychus. His name means well-fortuned or lucky. Okay. On the first day of the week, when they were gathered, so we're near the end now. We're really near the end of the book of Acts. Paul's just making his final trip to Jerusalem where it won't go very well for him and he's going to be a prisoner maybe the rest of his life. And so this, he's... Uh, has a little bit of freedom and he meets with some Christians on the first day of the week when they were gathered together to break bread. Paul talked with them. Intending to depart the next day, he prolonged his speech until midnight. There's some of you who are saying, that's how most church services go. They go on and on and on, right? This one did. Okay. There were many lamps in the room where they were gathered. A young man named Eutychus sitting at the window sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell from the third story and was taken up dead. Now that's a way to ruin a church service, I'm just going to say. I mean, he tumbles two stories, three stories, down to the ground, and he's laying there dead. Okay? Stop talking, Paul. And he did. And he went down and he bent over him, taking him in his arms. He said, so he said, he looks up to the third story, people looking out that window. Don't be alarmed! His life is in him. And when Paul had gone back up and had broken bread and eaten and conversed with them a long while until daybreak and so departed, and they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. Isn't that great? Now, why in the world is that in the Bible? Why is that in the Bible? I mean, here is this kid, falls asleep on the window, topples over, dies, is raised back to life, and the whole church service resumes. They break bread. They take communion. They remember the Lord's death again until He comes, right? And Eutychus is a living example to say this is a community of the resurrection. Just like Matthias started off in the beginning as the one who reminded us that Jesus has risen from the grave and that His story is unstoppable. So now, near the end, Eutychus tumbles out the window, dies, is raised again, and he walks away. And everyone is not a little comforted by the fact that he is alive, but more than that, that they are gathered as people of the resurrection. It's not much of a part It's a tiny little scene. All he does, he doesn't even get a stunt double. He just tumbles out the window. So that you and I might be reminded that we are gathered here today as people of the resurrection. So that when we do whatever small thing it is that we do, whatever act of kindness or love, whatever word of encouragement, if we're the first one to go over to someone and welcome them, if we're the ones who set up tables, if we're the one who just opens a circle and lets someone else in, we're doing just this tiny little thing. It may never have eternal significance, but it very well may be the one small thing that moves the story of Jesus into a whole new realm. Because that story is unstoppable. And 
We're swept up in it. And as we're swept up in it, we all have small little parts to play. And you don't need to do a ton. You don't need to be a star. You don't need to compare yourself with someone else and what they get to do. You simply have to show up as a person of faith with an act of love and do it in the name of Jesus. And the church of Jesus Christ will move forward. And I, I was talking with Travis about this earlier this week. And we, I told him, I said, you could tell the whole story of New Life Wilsonville from this text. And I thought that because I could tell the whole story of New Life Church from this. I could tell about how people thought they were in a program, but instead they just started to love someone. And that person quit their addiction. And they were baptized. And their life came together. And then their relative came to faith in Christ and was baptized. And the chain went on just from just because somebody loved somebody. I mean, I was just thinking about this all week and uh, Marcia told me stories about what happened even at the women's event on Thursday. And I just thought, I should tell people about that. And then I thought, I haven't talked to that person yet. I can't like call them out in sermon. But that's how the church moves forward. You see? That's how the church moves forward. Because some people do this small kindness in the name of Jesus and it makes an eternal difference. And they never know. And they may disappear forever. The other thing that occurred to me was I could tell the whole story of New Life Church from this vantage point. I can tell the future of New Life Church from this vantage point too. Because we're entering, we're entering a very unusual stage in the history of our church. I mean, this fall is going to be just off the hook, I'm going to tell you. And what's going to make it work? Men and women who do small acts of kindness in the name of Jesus and remain anonymous. Things that I'll never see or never know, but they will love people that they don't even know right now. And those people will be brought in to faith in Jesus and the story of Jesus will move along. And you and I will be surprised looking back at what God will do. Because ordinary men and women did simple acts of love in the name of Jesus. And Jesus wins. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do believe that Jesus wins and we ask that You would help us. Help us not to compare. Help us not to think and be discouraged that what we do doesn't matter. But Father, I thank You that You... Um, built your church by sweeping ordinary men and women like us into your story and then causing us, helping us to trust Jesus and do small acts of love. Father, would you help us to do that even today and then again tomorrow and then throughout this week. In Jesus' name, Amen.